Hi, my name's Brent Bailey, and I'm the lead pastor of Direction Church right here in Orlando. We have something for everyone. We believe in the healing power of God, blessing on your finances, the power of the Holy Spirit to make us the people He's created us to be, and a strong sense of community where we travel the road of life together. We have an amazing children and young adults ministry, incredible worship, and relevant preaching. Come join us at 10 a.m. at 5850 Lakehurst Drive, and I hope to see you this Sunday at Direction Church. You know, Christians, we have our own language. We, have the, we, we speak Christianese. Anybody else know what I'm talking about when I say Christianese? You, you, you know, now listen, there are some people that they, they say those, those things, and they're so genuine and they are so sincere. But, you know, people that grow up uh, out, outside of church have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, you, you say hi to somebody walking down the street or whatever, and, and they say, how you doing? And they say, I'm blessed and highly favored. And it's like, I don't know what that means. And I grew up in church, and so I've heard a lot of these, a lot of these words. But you know, sometimes I don't even know what they mean. I've had to go and research some of these things. And and the thing is, I think some Christians—now, not all Christians—but I think some Christians use a lot of these this Christianese word because they they think that it makes them sound more spiritual or more wise than they are. And um, just to be real honest with you, um, it isn't really your vocabulary. Come on, it's not really how many good big words you can speak. It doesn't, it doesn't mean uh, anything if you're not living the lifestyle and Jesus isn't in your heart. It is a heart issue that makes us a Christian. But in an effort to try and bridge the gap, what we're trying to do with these Christian dictionary um, sermons is to help people understand what some of these big Christian words mean. And uh, when I grew up, um, I heard it said all the time, you must be saved and sanctified. Anybody else grow up in church hear that term? You must be saved and sanctified. And it was almost like a package deal. It's like you came down front and you got saved at youth camp or you got saved at that one service that the evangelist was at or whatever it was. You came and, 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 and when you walked away, it was almost like you got the package deal of being saved and sanctified. But then you, you started having all these issues that you didn't realize you were still going to have. And a lot of folks lost heart. Because it's like, well, I'm supposed to be sanctified too because, well, I, got, I went up and said the prayer with the preacher, so, I mean, I was supposed to be saved and sanctified, and, and it should have been something that, that happened. Uh, and, and what has I've seen happen in the 20 years that I've been doing ministry, and I've been saved since I was nine years old, um, the, the, this, this long time that I've been doing this, uh, I, I've seen a lot of folks really lose heart because they didn't understand that there is a difference between salvation or being saved and sanctification. sanctification. You can be saved, have salvation, have Jesus living in your heart, um, be recreated brand new, and that happens instantaneously the moment you get saved. You are a new creature, the Bible says. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are new. But here's what happens when you get saved. That is a inward change. It is a salvation for your spirit man. He becomes a brand new person, okay? Now, you can have that happen and still have issues. Come on, how many of you have issues? It's not, a, it's not a bad thing to admit it, okay? It's not a, you know, it's not one of those confession police things where, you know, if you say you have issues, I'm like, what are you speaking over your life? No, seriously, we all have issues. I have issues, you have issues, and if you don't, you have one now because you're not telling the truth, all right? There's your, there's your issue, all right? Okay, uh, you can be saved and still have 
issues. It is absolutely possible. And we have to understand that being saved is not the same as being sanctified. Okay? Being sanctified happens as a result of being saved. So let's look at it. What is sanctification? Now, as we saw with the video, our friend uh, from Masterpiece Theater there told us that sanctification is this, the act of God's grace by which the affections of men are purified or alienated from sin in the world and exalted to a supreme love of God. Now that sounds beautiful, doesn't it? It just sounds so flowery and just so, I mean, it just sounds Shakespearean, doesn't it? It just sounds, wow, this all happened to me. I don't really know what it means, but this happened, this is happening in my life right now. All right. Webster's, if you go and look it up in Webster's, it actually says the state of growing in divine grace as a result of Christian commitment after baptism or conversion. If you go and look it up in the Easton, Easton's Bible Dictionary, it says sanctification is the carrying on to perfection the work that was begun in regeneration and it extends to the whole man. Now again, these are all flowery and beautiful and pretty <laughs> but what does it mean? <laughs> now, I'm just going to stop right here for a second because everybody is looking at me so serious this morning. And so I just need you to look at your neighbor, look at your neighbor and just say, loosen up a little bit. Okay. All right. Wake up and loosen up. Okay. Everybody is just so gay. Deer in the headlights is what I'm getting this morning. Deer in the headlights. All right. All right. So... <clears throat> If salvation is an instantaneous change of your spirit man being made immediately brand new to, to the point where he doesn't have a past anymore. Come on, how many of you can be thankful that you don't have a past in, in Jesus anymore, right? And, and it's, it, it, your spirit man immediately becomes like Jesus in his character, okay? That happens instantaneously at, at salvation, all right? But your flesh still has to change. Your flesh still wants to do whatever it wants to do. All right? So we have to sanctify it or change it to match the instant change that we've experienced on the inside so that we can become like Jesus as a whole man instead of just our spirit man. All right? So let me, let me give you this definition. This is my definition of sanctification. The lifelong process of changing the outside man to be like the inside man, which was changed immediately. Changed like what? Changed to be like Jesus. Now to say that, that means this. Our human bodies can be just as much like Jesus as our spirit man can. Now that's heavy for somebody to take, some people to take a hold of, because we think, oh man, Jesus was perfect, and Jesus walked in, you know, and listen, nobody's going to arrive at that point where they are perfect like Jesus, but you know what, your body can become more like Jesus every day. If not, we would never be able to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Why? Because our bodies wouldn't be able to contain the power of God, we would just explode, Right? We have to be able to, to have some kind of stimulus. To do. We would never be able to actually house our spirits as a new, a new person. Once our spirits got born again, we would leave this body if we weren't designed to be somewhat like Jesus. 
right? So our bodies have to have some kind of capability to be like Jesus in order to house the presence of God. You can't house the presence of God in something that can't contain it. Anybody remember the scripture that says, what happens when you put new uh, wine in old wineskins? See, that's why our bodies can change, because it houses a spirit that is now clothed and wrapped in the power and presence of God. All right? So you can become like Jesus, not just inside, but come on, outside. Now, ladies, that doesn't mean that you're going to grow a beard and have long hair. Or come on. And some of you guys that can't grow beards, that doesn't, I wish that was your answer right there, okay? But it's not. It's, it's not. That's not what I mean by that. It doesn't mean that we're all going to appear with scars on our hands and, and, and wounds in our side. That's not what it means. But what it means is, is our actions can become, our flesh's actions can become more like the life that Jesus lived. We can actually love people the way Jesus loved them, and it goes beyond just loving them in our hearts to loving them with our actions and the things that we do. Come on, somebody. We can become that. All right? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That's where we're going to start at today in verse number 16. And I'm going to read this to you uh, out of, uh, I think this is the New King James. Yes, it is. All right. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 16 says this. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, let's just stop right there. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What does that mean? We've been instantaneously changed. Okay, we've turned to the Lord, changed. So now I can see and have clear understanding and relationship with Jesus, okay? Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, check this out, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now listen to me. Your spirit man has already changed. So what is the change? Your spirit man's already there. He is not going to get any better. He is not going to, you know, he's not growing anymore. Like he's not going to change anymore. He is full perfection. So where does the change have to come? Here. (laughs) It has to come on where our spirit man lives. Okay? The veil is taken away through salvation, but even without a veil, we are still being, which is present tense, transformed from glory to glory. We are changing to be more like God every day. Our flesh has to change, and the more it changes the more of God that we then can learn about, understand a little bit more. See, this is what happens. The more your flesh dies and the more he he is put under and he is brought into order or he is, come on, sanctified, the more he is changed, the more you start to understand. And the more you start to catch the revelation. It's not your spirit man growing. It's your flesh man getting weak. What did John say? John said, I must decrease so that he may increase. All right? He wasn't talking about his spirit man decreasing. He was talking about this man decreasing. And so your spirit man is perfect. But your outer man is changing. And the more you change him, the more you learn about God. The more you understand about God. The more you become like God. Okay? You've already done the spirit change. You can be like Jesus 
inside and out. And so if that's what sanctification really is, it's actually changing this outside guy to be like the inside guy. What are some things we need to know about it? Number one I want to say to you is this. It is a process. Okay? First Peter chapter 2, verses number 1 through 3 says this. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Now, how many of you know those are not acts of the Spirit? These are all acts of the flesh Peter's talking about here. Okay? All malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking. These are all things your, your flesh does. These are all things this suit that you live in does. Okay? So then look at what he says here. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now Peter is using the metaphor of a baby here. Okay? How many of you parents can testify <laughs> that babies growing up is a process? Come on. I got a two-year-old. <laughs> I am slowly but surely thanking God that we are almost out of diapers and we are almost out of getting up in the middle of the night. I mean, we're just about there, and it's almost shouting time, okay? It is a process, okay? And he's, he's number two. All right, it is a process for them to change. They don't come out of the womb potty trained, feeding themselves, and never crying. <laughs> they come out of the womb letting you know everything that they have wrong with them, okay? Everything, all right? And, it, you know, it, it's slowly changing, all right? So this is what Peter's talking about here. Now, I do want to say this. Some things will change automatically. I remember when I got saved, rededicated my life to God. Now, listen, I haven't always been a pastor. I haven't always been in ministry. <laughs> I was kind of a wild man for a while. All right. Some of you have heard me talk about it. My senior year of high school, after growing up in church, I decided to go crazy and go do my own thing. And, and I went and pretty much did that. I got a job at a radio station and, and was DJing on the weekends. And, and so my connections in media helped me get an internship at a big radio station in Cincinnati. And, and it was a great time to be in media. And, and so then we went on spring break my sophomore year of college to Daytona Beach. That's why Florida has a real soft spot in my heart because my life changed in Florida. So, uh, so we come down to Daytona Beach, and you got to remember this is 1991. Nobody was going to Cancun and Jamaica and all that stuff for spring break. The whole country went to Daytona Beach for spring break. Anybody else grew up in the 80s? Remember that? Yeah, MTV spring break. I mean, it was there, all right? And so I'm there with media passes, and so I'm getting to meet all the celebrities and all the VJs and hanging out with all these people, and I'm just loving life, thinking it's awesome. Okay, and uh, I had this, you know, this, this entire great week, and the Lord arrested me right there. And I was watching TV and had a beer in my hand and a joint in the other hand, and there is Shambach on TV telling me I'm going to hell. And I knew he was talking to me, all right? And as soon as I went and turned my life over to God and went back and had my conversation with my pastor and, 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 and really turned my life over to God and made a quality decision that day. I never picked up alcohol again. I never picked up smoking again. I, I, all that stuff laid away, just right to the side. But there were some things in my life that I had to walk out of. This is the sanctification process. How many of you would admit it? You've got things that you're still working on right now. See, this is what I'm talking about. Some things will change instantly. 
Other things are a process, okay? And this is what, I say this to you so that you can remove any shame that you have in your life. Because listen, if you're pursuing God and you're going after God as hard as you can, you're still going to have to walk out of some things. And it shouldn't be something that you're ashamed of if you're pursuing, come on, a relationship with God, all right? Some people have been immediately delivered from addictions. Some people have been delivered from things that they've done for years. Um, and some people still, you know, I know people that, that got saved that were smokers when they went down to get saved, and they were smokers for 25 years after they got saved. That doesn't mean they weren't saved. It doesn't mean that they didn't love God, didn't have a relationship with Jesus. You know, I know people that, that went down as, as, you know, alcoholics and got up and walked out and still had a drinking problem. But I know that they were trying their best to walk away from it. That doesn't mean they weren't saved. What happened when they got drunk, you know, the, the next night? Does that mean they lost their salvation? No. That means that they were in the process, come on, the process of changing the outside man. Um, I, I know a guy in Nashville right now who got saved. He was a pimp. <laughs> he was a pimp. And, and, and guess, guess what? His wife was one of his ladies. And they had all kinds of weird stuff going on. 30-some years later, he's now a traveling evangelist and has one of the most successful speaking ministries of anybody I know. That was a process for him, though. He had to grow out of it, and he didn't change overnight. All those perverted things that he's seen over the years, those didn't just fall off of him. He had to, walk, come on, walk away from those things. But it doesn't mean he wasn't saved. He was in the sanctification process, okay? Now, check this out. Good behavior must be learned. It is not inherited. Okay? Now, a baby doesn't have to be good to be born. Some mothers that had rough pregnancies can tell you that. All night long, baby stepping on my kidney, baby stepping in on my stomach, kicking me, you know, all kinds of stuff. They're not just laying in there just being perfect little angels. They're, you know, just going to town in there. They don't have to be good. Check this out. They don't have to be good to be born. But once they're born, come on now, watch this, they have to learn to be good. Amen. Babies don't come out of the womb. Again, they, they don't come out of the womb just like, hello, mother. It's so wonderful being here. They come out screaming. Okay? The first sound a baby makes isn't goo-goo. It's wham. Okay? They have to learn to be good. All right? Newborn Christians are the same way. Actually, all Christians are the same way. They must learn to be good over time as they grow in their relationship with Jesus. All of us who've been in the way for 20 plus years, 30 plus years, 40 plus years, we're still learning, come on, to be good. All right? Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12 says this, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. This is what Paul says, and this is great stuff right here. But I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of 
for me. He's admitting it. I am not perfect. I got all kinds of things going on. I've heard all kinds of, of, of other people's, other theologians talk about what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. And there, nobody really knows what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. When Paul talks about, you know, there was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me that lest I be exalted above measure, there was a thorn of, of the flesh given to me. Nobody really knows what it is. I've heard people say it was sickness. I've heard people say it was, you know, an actual demon that followed him around. Some people say it was the persecution from all the people from where he went. Nobody really knows what it is. But one of the most interesting theories I ever heard was a theologian that said, Paul, you know, Paul was either married and divorced or single his whole life. Now, I tend to believe that Paul was married and divorced because he was a part of uh, the Pharisees and you couldn't be a Pharisee unless you were. So I think Paul was married and, and probably divorced or she died, one of the two. So either way, he's got issues that he's dealing with here. But Paul admits it right here that he has not attained perfection yet. Now if a guy who goes and admits I have not obtained perfection and I have a thorn in my flesh and I got issues and I got something going on in my life turns around and writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Come on, somebody. That should make everybody in here happy because of whatever issue it was, whatever problem, he had a problem that didn't stop him from being used by God because he entered into the sanctification process. It is something that will take time. It is a process that will take your entire life. Now, that makes some people lose heart. Some people were like, oh, man, am I ever going to get there? There are some issues you'll walk out of and you'll walk away from and you'll never pick them up again. And there are some things that you are going to deal with for the rest of your life. That's just the way it is. That's not a negative confession. That's not, a, that's not me saying, you know, pronouncing a curse on you. <laughs> but even if you get to the point where you can feel like you can control it, it'll always be something that you think about. That's part of the process of sanctification. All right? We always continue growing to be more like Jesus until the day we die. If you aren't becoming more like Christ today than you were yesterday, you aren't sanctifying yourself and therefore you're not growing. Now, uh, my, one of my mentors is, is Kenneth E. Hagan, and um, I had the privilege of working for him personally, like, like on staff at the training center in the school while he was alive for three years. So we worked there, and it was a really honor. I mean, it was a big deal to get to, you know, when you got time with him, that was a big deal. And when he died, um, they actually, you know, went into the office and started looking through all the stuff. And they opened up, now he had worn out several Bibles in his lifetime, okay? And, and he kept them all, though. They were all on the shelf. And, of course, they're all falling apart, leather stripped down the middle and just, 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 just falling apart. But the, new, the current Bible that he had, what he would do is when he'd get a new Bible, he'd have some, his secretary go through and, and highlight all the other you know, stuff and make his, you know, copy his notes over in it because you, know, you get used to seeing that in there. Anybody ever broke in a new Bible? You get used to your notes where, I know it's on this side of the page, and I think it's highlighted in purple. And, and you, you get over there, and then that's not there anymore. So, so you know, they did that for him. But then uh, when he died, they actually found new notes that he was still getting revelation on. Why? Because he was still changing. And he died at 86 years old in the ministry for 60 plus years, almost 70 some years. Um, and he was still, come on, becoming more like Christ even then. It is a process that takes your entire life. And the process is at a different place in everyone's life. 
We are all at different places in the process. Other, people, um, other people's growth is not the measuring stick for you. Come on, somebody. You are not supposed to determine your success by the person sitting next to you. It is by your own relationship with Christ. All right? Um, it is fine for us to want what other people have, you know, some fruit that somebody has in their life. That's okay. I want to have some of the fruit that I see other people have in their lives. But it's not going to determine whether or not I'm growing in my relationship if I have that fruit. i got to produce, come on, my own fruit. All right? It's also wrong for us to look at people who aren't, haven't achieved the same level you have. There might be some people that, that go through the sanctification process and they may struggle with something for 15 years where it only took you one. But you know what? They're not wired like you. They're not created like you. They're not supposed to be you. And so the process is different for everybody. And so what are you, what, what are you trying to say, Brent? Listen, we need to remove the, 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 the measuring stick of someone else so that we get rid of the, the feelings of, of not being good enough for ourselves. But then at the same time, we need to get rid of the judgmental feelings where we're uh, looking down on somebody because they haven't gotten it. All right? Just because um, you tell a baby that the stove is hot doesn't mean that they're not going to walk over and put their hand on it. Now, does that make the baby stupid? No. Does it make that baby less of a, a person? No. It just means they didn't know any better, but guess what? Now they do. They learned it, come on, on their own. You know, I told, me and Preston were sitting up the other night, and we were, we were watching, or we were playing the video games, and I, I like to do that with Preston's a video game-aholic, so we'll play, we'll play some uh, video games, and, and so we're, we're in there playing, and uh, Jody's asleep, and he goes, Dad, I want apple juice. And I'm like, okay, let's finish this level and I'll get you some. And, and then, so he reaches over and takes his little, you know, it's a, it's a game. It's got a little guy that you put a, on a thing and he pops up on the screen. So he takes his little guy off and I'm thinking, okay, he's going to go over and get it and bring it over here and I'm going to pour it in there. Next thing I know, he starts to walk in the bedroom to get her to do it. And I'm like, don't go in there and wake her up. Are you crazy? You don't wake a sleeping mom. You don't ever do that. That's just a crazy. So he comes back over and sits down for a minute. And a few minutes go by and he gets back up. And I'm thinking, okay, now he's going to, he heard me, so he's going to bring it back over. And I turn around and he like sprints into the bedroom, slams the door open and runs in there. And what does he do? Wakes up his mom. Oh my gosh. We're all in trouble now. Brent, why are you still playing games this hour with our son? Get, you know. It wasn't quite that bad, but it was almost that bad. And so I come in there and I'm like, I told you not to come in here. What are you doing? Now, I could get real mad and lecture him and turn him. Listen, he, knew, he knows now you don't ever go wake mom up. He learned that on his own. Okay? It is the same way for us. It is not the same place for all of us. We're all at different levels in our sanctification walk. Instead of judging somebody, we should be encouraging somebody. Come on. Instead of worrying about us being as good as someone else, we should just be celebrating with somebody else and uh, making our attempt to get there when we get there. All right? It is a struggle for us. And I'll close with this point. It is a struggle for us. Romans chapter 7, verse number 14 says this, For we know that the law is spiritual. But Paul says this right after this, but I am carnal. 
This is Paul talking. This is the Apostle Paul. The, the guy that besides Jesus was probably used more than any other human being on the face of planet Earth. This is the guy. He says, I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. This is the part I think is so awesome right here. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I, what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is, that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil, I find, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now let me read this to you out of the New Living Translation because it sounds more like us. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want to do, uh, for I want to do what is right. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am the one. Uh, I am the one. Do, so I am not doing the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. <laughs> but if I do what I what I do, uh, if but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered the principle, this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that, I st that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you, uh, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Listen, Paul begins to paint a struggle that uh, paint a picture of a struggle that we all have. I mean, how many of you really wanted to go just tell somebody the what for? Y'all know what that means, right? Everybody's looking at me real funny. I mean, how many of you ever just wanted to go tell somebody exactly what you thought about the situation at the time? How many of you have ever beat the steering wheel in your car yelling at the person who just cut you off in traffic? Come on, somebody. 
How many of you have ever, you know, been walking through the, the living room in the middle of the night and cracked that little toe on the coffee table? And you just gave the coffee table and the air the what for? You told them exactly what you think. All right? This is exactly the kind of stuff Paul's talking about here. And it's not like we were walking around going, you know, I just feel like cussing today. Hmm. Yes, that's what I want to do. I just, I just want to cuss for no reason. It's not like we were thinking that. But when we walk through, it's almost like you, you, you see that, 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 the, the, the coffee table and all the furniture in your bedroom. You ever seen that cartoon? It's on the internet. It's a picture of, the, of all the bedroom furniture and they're having this secret meeting when nobody's around and the, the coffee table's standing up there with a pointer in front of a whiteboard and it's got this big toe drawn on it and it says target with all the arrows pointing towards it. I mean, it's not like we, we don't think that's really happening. It's not like we want to go and tell the guy who cuts us off in traffic, you know, what we think about them and their mother and everything else under the sun. But as soon as something happens, our flesh man rises up and we go, ah! Here's what I think about you, and it's not good. This is a struggle that we all have. This is what Paul's talking about. We all want to get up and go to church, but we don't always. We all want to read the Word. Come on, but we don't always. We all want to pray. I mean, if I could go around here and ask everybody, how many of you really just don't want to pray? No, everybody wants to. Everybody wants to have fellowship with God, but come on, we don't always. This is what we're talking about. And what is it about us that doesn't want to? It's not that our spirit man's in there going, ah, ha, ha, I don't feel like praying. Our spirit man wants to pray. It's this thing right here. Okay? And this is what temptation is. There cannot be a temptation where there is not a result of your flesh, come on, being satisfied. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 25 says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And do you think about that? Not ashamed. How many of you have ever had the dream that you've gone to school or work with no clothes on? Come on. And you're just like hiding behind stuff and you know what I'm talking about. Even when it's not real, you're ashamed of yourself because it's wrong. You know it's wrong. It's not right. Okay? I was at this conference this weekend. I was like, you know, this, this guy was preaching and he said, the only good thing that came out of Adam and Eve sinning was sin. I mean, not sin. But no, 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 no. Was, what was it he said? Clothes. That's what it was. The only good thing that came out of Adam and Eve sinning was clothes. Because I wouldn't want to think about all of you sitting in our seats at this church naked. Because we would have a cleaning bill that is huge. <laughs> this is the struggle that Jesus pointed out to his disciples. Matthew 26 says, Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Or what? Your, your flesh being satisfied. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will, uh, your will be done. Uh, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. It wasn't their spirit that was heavy. It wasn't the spirit of slumber that was coming upon them. It's the fact that their eyelids felt like they weighed 10,000 pounds. It's their flesh who wanted to sleep. And I'm going to close with this statement. Your spirit man is just like Jesus and always wants to do the right thing. But your flesh is nothing like Jesus and never wants to do the right thing. This is why we have 
sanctification is to make the flesh become more like Jesus. And I'm going to pick up here next week. I was going to preach about this just for one week, but this is going to turn into two weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about how to sanctify yourself. Because this is something we should all be doing. My flesh should be coming more like Jesus every day.